Podcast. What was that weird beat thing you did when you were counting me in, Steve? It, it was a metronome. But it wasn't was that a... what you were mimicking? Actually, mimicking a metronome? A little bit, yes. But so a metronome makes the same noise, doesn't it? No, yeah, no. It, it actually tick? it has it has an alternating tick when it falls on the downbeat. Say the one. I thought you were going to do your pussycat beat. That's what I thought you were doing. That's uh, why. Uh, I was oh, you, oh, you mean that one? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that you that. always go into randomly. At I really all times. wish you know one of you had that skill just to join me, and we could and we, could, we could overlay. You heard my skill. I was able to do a low backbeat, and then you still had to mix it. You you never <laughs> yeah. even heard me attempt. You have no idea if I can or not. You won't do it because you're a wussy. I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I was a little offended that I wasn't asked to do it. You were. You said we you wouldn't. We actually asked yeah, you. Yeah, we many harassed times. you for weeks. Yes, but I was kind of offended when you guys just went and did it without even uh, like, him telling so me and being all like, so "Hey, we're gonna do he's this." He's having a moment to let it he let it let it resolve itself. So, oh, that's what I wanted to tell you about. Actually, I forgot to off air, so we'll talk about it on air. Wow. I got to see one of the most amazing pieces of theater I've seen in a very long time, if ever. Well, over that the means weekend. it wouldn't be theater; it would be theater. It was theater. Yeah, it was something yeah. called. It was a, a play called The Machine, and it was about Deep Blue, the Deep Blue event, Man vs. Machine, and it was done at the Armory, which is a theater in Manhattan, and it was a very much theater in the round, and the, just the special effects and the the scenes, and they they made you feel even if you aren't in, as into chess as like you and I are, like so the rest of the world, chess, it made you very much engaged. Who won? Well, I'm curious about the chess implementation because that that it's kind of funny. That reminds me of a play, a Broadway play that was out in the '80s called Chess. Does anyone happen to? Is yes, familiar it's a with musical, this? of course. Yeah, the musical, the ones. But with, no, this with, is with about One Night in Bangkok. No, yeah, of course. <laughs> but no, this is about Deep Blue. You know Deep Blue. It didn't right? run that long, just so you know. I'm not familiar. No. Really? Deep Blue? Deep Blue is the monstrous chess machine. Yeah, that was uh, competed against the Russian oh, world champ. Oh, okay. I never knew it had a name, yeah. actually. Yes. But the name. match, where that was televised, I guess if it's it was that man smart, versus machine. If it's that smart, it probably should have well, a name. Well, just out of that curiosity, who sense. won in the play? Really? You can't shake the your machine. head. The machine. You can't shake your head. Just like stop. in life. It was based on reality. But what they did is they had the matches, but between during the matches they did flashbacks, and the way they did it with the scene within the scene was very brilliant. And it, the writing was great. The acting was great. And even if you aren't into chess, it made you feel that kind of anxiety and pressure of those matches and how monumental they were. Who, who played Deep Blue? Deep Blue doesn't talk. Nobody played Deep Blue. They had a computer. Oh. That's a little disappointing. They had someone playing the people who built Deep Blue. I would have enjoyed... F- Fung and the being, other gentleman whose name I can't remember. More before anyway. Have you ever seen the, uh, the the code that goes along with following a chess game? Yeah. Like, for whenever they need to record it, like in yeah, text. Yeah. It's actually very useful to, you know, go back to. And they usually record a little uh, notation on the side, a little symbol... 
that registers what type of a move it was, whether it was an excellent move or just mm-hmm. a good move. And I always love the symbol for the lowest category, which is just two question marks, black to back, and it says it's a blunder. <laughs> so I always imagine all these like hoity-toity chess masters going up there and be like, oh, yes, 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 excellent, excellent, yes, 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 yes. And it's, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And then finally, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> You might have just peaked the microphone. Um, almost certainly. Anyway, um, but I thought of you when I saw the play, because it, I mean, it revolves around this massive and important moment in chess history, and the play was also really, really good. It was actually written by a friend of, uh, directed by a friend of Sarah's, uh, Josie, I can't remember her last name, but um, it's playing at the Armory for the next two weeks in Manhattan. It's worth checking out. The matinees get as low as 30 bucks, so it's definitely worth checking out. Awesome. Um, awesome. And, and it's funny, too, because the music they use and, like, the special effects on the video screens above the chess match are so 90s because of when it happened. Mm. And it's just so cheesy. There were several incarnations of that machine, right? Like, they kept on trying it against the World Master. And, well, no, it's uh, kind Originally, of, the World Master no, 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 was winning. No, 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 They just kept rebuilding, rebuilding, and reintegrating Deep Blue. They kept... Within the so match, that's what I'm saying. So it, was, it was always Deep Blue. Yes. Yeah. But okay. between the matches... But but Deep Blue isn't functioning anymore. As far as I know, he was putting the Smithsonian, and he's just there. Yeah, because they have it's the code just now. There. Yeah, he. <laughs> they have I the see algorithm. What you're doing there. Yeah. Machines are taking over because but, Matt recognizes them as. Well, male, actually, male also apparently. there's this great moment in the play where they talk about how everything will be different now after that match because pretty much all of our modern technology has built from that chess playing machine essentially. Yeah, no, sounds awesome. I love legitimate theater. Yeah, I thought you might. So you should definitely check it out, as well as all the listeners out there. Um, that's enough rambling about theater. Also, real quick, before we get into this week's album that I chose and regret, the Wasties Ooh. are playing at the Way Station on the 19th of September. Come check them out. Should be fun. I believe Noam I, uh, is playing also as Pamela's Parker that night, too, but I'm not 100% on that. Either way, come check it out. Should be a lot of fun. Um, let's throw a ballpark of 9 o'clock that they're starting. I don't honestly remember, but that's usually around the time they start. If you love them, you'll check every source you can. That's also true. So the Facebook page. There, there, you, there go. you go. There you go. <laughs> that would be the source. That would be the source. If you love them, you'll be a whore. <laughs> Okie dokie. Anyway. The um, album. So this week's album choice Yay. was picked by me. It's Nine Inch Nails' newest record that just came out. Hesitation Marks. Um... I don't remember what number album it is because between the remix albums and everything else that he's done, I don't care. Well, how old is Nine Inch Nails as a band? Um, they came out, I believe, in either the late 80s, early 90s. I think it's early 90s. Um, the, the first record that I bought by them was Pretty Hate Machine, which in my opinion is still the best record they ever made. Um, it's his I first. do remember that the only album, I think my dad owned a, a Nine Inch Nails cassette tape, so they're that old. They are that old, yes. So, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, in pop culture, I'm sure you tend to hear a lot of Nine Inch Nails around. They were probably the most popular industrial band that ever existed. More um, or less. And, pop and, industrial, if and also possible. And kn- also known for Trent Reznor being the band. I mean, on the old eps- uh, old records, like Pretty Hate Machine and, and Downward Spiral, it said Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, which I always thought was hilarious. Like, he's, it was an inside joke for himself. Like, oh, I'm just going to listen to me as the band. It's great, because he does, does everything. Um, and then later on uh, with The Fragile and a couple albums after that, he would start listing Nine Inch Nails live is, and then list the band members who play with him live. Interesting. To give them some credit. But he does, like on this record and all the others, all the writing and playing of instruments and producing and mixing, it's all him and nobody else. Um, 
he had taken a break and a hiatus for a while to do some solo work and start and was also in a different band. But if he's already a solo work, I know. Well, he well, wa- he wasn't doing <laughs> he wasn't doing music under under Nine Snails. He did a couple of soundtracks where he composed under his name, Trent Reznor. The soundtrack for um, the Facebook movie that I'm a social network. He did he composed and also he did the soundtrack to Call of Duty Black Ops Two, just to name a few. Interesting. Um, I caught a blurb that he was considering hanging up the the name Nine Inch Nails for a while uh, in order to go off and do other things. Well, that he did do that. That's he, well, apparently he's going to do that again. <laughs> I'm not sure. Who knows? I mean, a lot of it. I feel like at this point, a lot of bands, and I. Oh, this might be something we have to get into later. The forced retirement, retirement, or the non-retirement retirement. I hate those. Like Kiss is the best example. They retire every year, and then every year they go on tour again. It's like seriously because it is kind of a rating booster. You know, oh man, you gotta buy this. It's gonna be the last album. You never can hear another one. Well, never no, one. no. Oh man, they're back. They're, yeah. they're back. They're totally like the, their back. back is the big booster. Yeah. Oh, I gotta get that album. I skipped because I was kind of on a downturn. Both. But I mean, for back. fans, both can be boosters. Yeah. Uh, in any ways. Anyway, so uh, let's get right Did into it. You hear? It, there's so. a new thing by that band that's been around for forever, and they get, went away, and then they came back. Cha. Yeah. That's the only about the only response I could possibly think up to that. Um, so Nine Snails Hesitation Marks is this week's uh, album chosen by me, and the first track is called "The Eater of Dreams." Um, as far as Nine Snails go, it's a f- somewhat typical, to be expected intro track. Very raw. Odd. Is it though? I mean, it's kind of arty. First of all, it plays. They've around done lots with... of arty stuff. They did a whole album, I think, that was like thirty tracks and was all instrumental and just strange tones. All right, well, arty is a word that I might be throwing around a little bit for different Cult ghosts, I believe. Different tracks on this album, but the thing about the intro here is, first of all, there's a blatant techno aspect mm-hmm. to this album, which uh, there has always been hint of in in Ice Nails. Right, so it shows that he's he's good with a th- with a synthesizer or a computer, or however he creates it these days. Right, because it could be either, but yeah. yes, with Most whatever machine he's using to create these tones and notes, he's good at it. All right. Um, the other thing, the reason I would put this track more than others, I think, toward the RD side, is because. It was def- it definitely had somewhat of a theme to it, and that was electronic, Electro- like electronic, not just as electronica, but electronic sounds. Yeah. There was static. There was clipped tones. You know, very ab- abrupt v- breaks. And there was like a that. lot of attempt at texture and ambience on this opening track to try to set the scenery for the album. That's why it had. It that was kind very of- straightforward in that respect. It was only a fifty-second long track. It was a pure in, uh, introduction, and that's why it sounded so raw because of those sounds and tones. Um, otherwise, it was, I mean, it was a little confusing because I did, mean, it did sound a bit menacing. Yeah, um, and it, well, one could call it grating because of the manner in which they were using that static and those little pops. They're very, but if they it, do sound like like electronic mistakes or. But if the it was, white noise, you but if it hear. comes across as grating, I believe, like at least on a track like this, it was intentional. There was no accident. Of course, there's no accident because you're going to find elements of that throughout the album. Yeah, um, it it does serve as an overture to that extent. Mm. But although maybe that's a broad term, I would use the yes, word broad. overture very, very, very loosely. <laughs> You'll hear tones <laughs> that you may hear <laughs> later. Not so much uh, themes, really. Okay, so now. No, I think it did an excellent job of getting you ready for this album because this album is a techno-ish, almost exclusively techno. Everything has a techno backbeat. 
has a synthesized backbeat. It did no, an excellent job. There are job. shades of other stuff. But anyway, let's there are no, there are definite definite shades. <laughs> but let's get into the next track, "Copy of a," which is a. Let's start with the title. How awkward of a title is that? "Copy of a." Well, I see what copy he's doing because the second you start listening, the lyric goes, "I'm a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy." copy. So yeah. therefore, if you just repeat that those three words, you you get that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, this is where we get to get some lyrics. So this one's not instrumental. It starts in with Trent Reznor's typical singing style. He's not the best of trained singers um and coming from the last couple of albums we've had it's a little disappointing to go into a vocalist like this but Trent Reznor was never known for how he sang he was always known for what he sang like a lot of artists however unfortunately what he's singing is also quite terrible and boring as well yes the verses get repeated the verses are really one line repeated four to six times. And like what Steve just said, uh, I'm a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. That was the that, most imaginative of the batch. Well, yeah, that is, I mean, it is imaginative in its way. First of all, you see the electronic theme going here. Yeah. It almost ha- makes you picture a, a, an assembly line of robots coming yeah. off and that he is one of them. If we are all but, but uh, Paul. You may have the... just described the music video that will inevitably come out for the song. <laughs> well, there you are. <sighs> Style-wise, I noticed that <laughs> this seems like a very, very redundant observation, considering the pantheon of music. But a lot of stereo work going on here. Everything is stereo work. Of course everything is stereo work. It's, it's, if you take away stereo work these days, y- you would feel very lost and, and confused. Like, what is this? I'm supposed to accept a mono track? Bull. But in this case, he's really shoving it down your throat. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, I, it's not that I don't mind that, because I always, I always like, you know, texture, and of course oh, the way sure. texture plays off stereo and panning and whatnot, and especially when you hear uh, electronic sounds doing that, it's interesting, but it is a little excessive, I think. Yeah, yeah it was a little too much on this track. Also, I mean, once you get to about the halfway mark of the track, the be- backbeat has become so repetitive, it's that's, like... That's the biggest issue with so this. It becomes so grating on you. That might be the biggest issue of the album itself, and that is the lack of the fluctuation in the backbeat. It's such a driving force in every song that it doesn't even stay in the background. It comes to a forefront in a lot of instances, and here it did that same thing. The backbeat in this album reminds me of, and especially in this track, reminds me of the complaint Steve often has when we listen to a pop band or pop rock band, and that's the drummer didn't need to show up they could have set up a, a drum machine and it would have covered the same thing in this case it, they did set up a drum machine, machine. but it's one but, of those things where you know if you're going to do this with a backbeat sometimes it's almost like why have a backbeat at all yeah i mean it's kind of funny because the way in which the backbeat was it's like at first you could go either way with that a, a backbeat should by all intents and purposes be fairly regular but yeah. i felt like the thing that they were doing with the mixing, in many ways, was making up for the fact that that backbeat remains so incessantly regular. It's like, if they're going to give you something else, why not play around with, with, with ambience texture, that, that kind of thing. With the way in which you experience that, the same sound that you will continue to hear for the remainder of the track, and to some extent the album. There, it's true what John says, there is very little fluctuation. But I would argue that, especially in these earlier tracks, it, it might succeed somewhat in making up for it with the mixing. Eh, it's a minor point, because we don't really usually talk about mixing that much. Because, let's face it, when you have a really solid written song, you're not really focusing on how it's mixed. You just know, inherently, that it's well-written. You know, but in this particular <laughs> case, I, I think 
that it has to take some of the credit away from the writing because the writing just isn't that good. Yeah. But it does have a late climax uh, that I did enjoy. Not, not, you know, that good, but it got a lot grittier. It did add a little bit more texture to the song itself. Um, I began to forget about his vocals and just enjoy what they were doing with the uh, instruments in this case. And there was some introduction of real instruments, and that's what I was missing in the first half of the song, in the introduction. Like, more textured, realistic sounds as opposed to more computerized tones. Well, you mean acoustic-wise, but, it, well, or acoustic electric band stuff, you know, yes, as opposed to electronic stuff. stuff. But I'm going to be a bit of a uh, contender there. I think... I, I, I'm not so sure that the band stuff on this album really worked when you consider that every single time they transitioned from the electronica to the band stuff, it was awkward as hell. Well, that wasn't now, a now transition that, that's, that's here. That's later. That was layering them both together. Now, later on, there is a much No, I, I do, in fact, mean transitions from one to the other. I uh, mean that if you're going to do an electronic album, why not stay with electronica and, and really immerse yourself in it? Instead, they stuck with the backbeat stuff, the loops, you know, the things that go over and over and over again. But it... Eh. When you bring in a band, when you bring in... Then all of a sudden, it changes the whole tone. All of a sudden, you're not immersed in this in this fanciful, uh, technological world anymore. It's like you're back in a garage, playing with yeah, your friends. But there was always this kind of mix of... I think the thing that makes this album really suffer, and we're barely getting gotten into the album yet, is in previous Nine Snails albums, at least, and a lot of industrial albums that I've listened to, there's always been a nice mix of the electronic and the band stuff. The problem here is that when they mixed it, it was awkward. And or they went from one to the other without mixing at all, which was even more awkward. Whereas in the past, there was always like a nice mix of both. The next track, Come Back Haunted, is a perfect example of this awkward feel. The most notable part of that track is when the guitar comes in somewhat isolated from the previous sections, the previous mixing of this track, and it is really plain guitar work, but you actually stand up and notice this extremely plain sound. Comeback Haunted was the first track released by Trent um, to get people hyped up about the, the upcoming record. The first time I heard it, I remember liking it, though I was streaming it on SoundCloud on my phone in the car. That might be why I liked it. Upon a second listen and then a third listen, not so much. This, I thought, had shades of typical Nine Snails, but honestly, it was more just this kind of horrible loop with this false attitude that Steve pointed out. It had this kind of... It reminded me of um, by uh, hand, The Hand That Feeds from... Um, I don't even remember which album it was on, but The Hand That Feeds had this attitude that was kind of in your face. The difference was the lyrics and the musicianship in that track, when that came out almost eight years ago, that that attitude wasn't false. You felt it. He was getting... He, you know, there was that in-your-face energy with the song. This, however, is this song is just really overreaching and very... It's just a false bravado, a false attitude. Silence. To be honest, I agree with the overreaching aspect here. Um, everything you just said, because I said it originally, <laughs> I agree. But the funny thing is that when you... Following up copy of A, I feel like you you could have gone a lot further with the stuff the copy of A was introducing. Because I want to stress that I was liking the electronica elements in copy of A. 
it actually had layering to it. You know, each even though they would take a backbeat and they would loop it, you know, several times around, or you'd go for eight measures or 16 measures or so, and then introduce something a little bit new, at least it was new. This was a lot more of a consistent track for me, which made it kind of boring, which, as a result, made me resent that over-attitude even more, because there wasn't that much behind it, so to speak. Uh, what, I, what I really pointed out was... The sirens and a steady, deep bass don't make a song here. That's the, random siren noises to try to increase apprehension. Deep bass to try to create foreboding only work if they're doing what you want them to do. Throwing yeah, but... them in, splicing them in on top of a very safe beat does nothing. I, I agree, but at the same time, it's also throwback industrial sounds. You know, stuff that we're familiar with here and there. Which means that, yeah, to some extent, it's it's copying. It's copying from all the bands that have made careers off of doing that kind of thing. And yet, I don't know. On the other hand, you don't hear it too much today. So, uh, I'm pretty sure you where does still it stand it among current music? I mean, well, also, the thing is about this song, and I think... Uh, it's a very 90s sound. It's not like yeah, this... Yeah, well, the, 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 the false bravado also of this song is backed up by the fact that, again, the lyrics in this song are very bad. The, the, the thing about Nine Inch Nails is that their singing was... You know, Trent's singing was never the greatest, but his lyrics, even if they were simple, had a meaning that you could get behind or feel something. Or right, well, I'm, not e- I'm not even on, on lyrics. I'm really just talking about the sound bites they're using, the stuff that John was mentioning. Right. Um... Lyrics, yeah, yeah, if you're going to go into that, it's, uh, I, the fact of the matter is, when you have something so steady, it's really, it's tough for you to, for the lyrics to really be the emphasis, I think. Oh, well, actually, that could work either way. You know, yeah. you have, you have, so if something's steady, it'll push the lyrics forward. It might push the lyrics forward, but actually, not in the manner in which he's singing. No. The manner in which he's singing is very, like, he has this close matter like really up against the microphone he's right there he's in your face sort of or in your ear i mean it's 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 almost a little bit obnoxious um and again there's that attitude that goes with it it's almost a little bit creepy a steady, go with that a steady beat works for something more of the high-pitched nature of r&b hip-hop and rap that way you're focusing on the lyrics because you just want something to keep it flowing He's not flowing here. He's sweeping his words. Well, He's I just not had no. I had no lyrics to take away from this. I mean, I barely remember I, any of the lyrics. I, I, the I was. Album. I was into the electronica when it was at its most superb, um, which you know occurs occurs sporadically on this album. But it's moments. It's not. Yeah. There's not entire songs except for one or two that really grab you yeah, but when, he, when he's when he's singing the attitude is it's just a little bit annoying i guess that's yeah. what really separates me from liking track of the whole as far as good moments and good songs go find my way is one of the strongest contenders on the album and, and i think opinion. the reason for that i agree for, for starters the reason for that i think is its consistency <laughs> First of all, it's kind of refreshingly creepy, almost authentically creepy. Mm-hmm. You don't get the feeling that, you know, you're using existing 90s tropes in order to achieve this this underworld, this technological underworld end. Instead, it just is kind of creepy. I mean, first of all, the, the title, Find My Way, you do get the sense that you are in an, a, an empty landscape searching through. You don't know where you're going. You don't, you're trying to find your way out, but there's really no end in sight, and you don't even know which way to go when you're there. You get that feel. And the punctuating nature of the instruments does a great job of creating dissidence in the emotions. 
it, it's got a lot more depth in its composition than the previous tracks. Yeah, the drum loop, it's like, okay, you know, it's still a loop, but it's a creative loop. Doesn't mean you can't create re- creative loops. I'm not completely down on loops. Right, well, and also this in track... In this case, it, it was decent. As far as aesthetic goes, it had a more classic Nine Inch Nails feel, this creepy feeling, this slow build that they're known for, that they've done on many albums where... You're building to something, and when you get there, it's totally worth it. But it's dragged out a little bit, but not in a way that you're tired of it. It's less a build and more of a burn. Yes, a slow burn. That's a very good way to put it. And and, it's, it's funny, though, because of that slow burn, it's like you're burning away the fear a little bit. You know, this track almost turned a, a little bit more of a positive touch in the end. A little upbeat. It was, yeah. uh, it was the way they were using the piano work, uh, which was a little bit off-key in the earlier part of the song, and kind of meshed up a little bit better towards the end of it and then as we're getting towards the end you know well even halfway through the song with this slow burn as it starts to pick up a little bit and the lyrics for the song which again not really paying attention to all of them but when i'm listening and not distracted by the lyrics they're hammering home that feeling lost kind of vibe but the lyrics are just so obvious um, yeah and kind of hammer hammering home a point yeah it's you like, already it's, it's reached really with no, the music it's no it's no further beyond what I already said about the theme of this track. It yeah, really, it's, Find Your Way sums it up right there. Yeah. You're not going to get any further. Every, everything is a, way, is, is a play on Find My Way with Lead Me Astray, <laughs> Can't Get Away, <laughs> I Have to Find My Way. I mean, it was like, okay, uh, okay. I think we see the point. Hey, I think you added the final rhyme there. That was nice. Hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> So it also had a very draggy outro. Yeah, the outro. So you know, you you do. It was a slow burn, kind of fizzled. Yeah, well, the slow burn was in the middle, and it fizzles at the end. So yeah, eh. and then we get a transition that's completely abrupt and unexpected. Now for something completely different. We go into all time low is the name of track five, which is this kind of strange intro that goes into this weird, strutty funk sound i want to well hold on i want to go out and say i really liked the intro i like the maddening effect I, this was this was that electronica at its most superb in my opinion this was a combination of i put it as sweeps and points sweeping tones and punctuation on top of them that really did a great job of setting up the vibe i just don't see what they did with the vibe by going into funk no, I get that. I understand, like, the psychological break between those two styles. I mean, for one thing, this is what I said about artsy, arty. I mean, the intro kind of fits that. When you're trying to evoke a maddening touch, and I assume that the all-time low, the, the, the title, all-time low, has something to do with that. Um, if you're at your all-time low, you're probably at your most mad. Probably. But then, yeah psychologically the funk does not quite make any sense it's not you know when you're at the bottom you're just gonna start dancing that's the transition unlikely yeah the transition was, who you are the transition was very awkward and which there are a lot of them on this album and again like it was this kind of strutty funk beat you know like you're strutting along and it's just it just didn't gonna, make sense i know it doesn't make sense at the same time I, very shallowly i liked it i don't know why i liked it but i liked it if I, for, it, if I forget the fact that, yes, the intro was building up some a song that never really happened, um, I liked what they went into, and it was it was funky enough that it was actually able, 
to make me forget the intro, which I'm not saying is a good thing. I mean, form-wise, it's a bad thing. That means you have two pieces that are completely divorced from one another. Yeah, they should be two separate songs. it still was enough to make me forget. And normally when we bring up these cases where, you know, songs are have two different sections which are completely divorced, we aren't drawn into the second section with which to forget it. In fact, we keep harping on it for the rest of the track. I couldn't do that here because I was, I was drawn in. It was a funk riff. And, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for funk. It was a good funk riff, too, in my opinion. Early Red Hot Chili Peppers comes to mind. Whether you like early Red Hot, early Red Hot Chili Peppers or not, that built the, the, the Chili Peppers that everybody came to know and love. Now, I'll give you that, that yes, it was catchy, and it was, to some extent, enjoyable. Once again, this will probably be the last time I even talk about lyrics. It's, but it's this not just is that. The it's also clean. It's very close to your ear in many ways. You know, the way in which guitar... You know, it's very... It's tinny, almost. Yeah. Well, this will be the last time I really talk about lyrics, because this is the final problem he has here. And otherwise, we just keep repeating ourselves. He ends every other line in this song with the word baby. <laughs> Seriously? It sounds like it's more like the first half of the two-line two pair that he ends it with baby. I mean, I'm not as down on that, because it's a hook. It's not a gr- it's, it's a bad hook, but it's a hook. Just keep going, would... baby. We'll be drawn across the sky. I can't forget about you, baby. We'll just never die. Yes, and if, Seriously? It's a minor, minor point, but, but sky seriously? is the end of the line. Die is the end of the line. Yes, but... <laughs> It could be worse. He All could right, be we doing... get it, John. It's bad writing. It's really, it's really it's not... bad writing. Yeah. I, that's... You know who the last person was that I heard a song, put out a song that ended every line with baby? Justin. Bieber. Yeah, I still haven't heard baby, that song. Baby, baby, baby. I read like, the lyrics just... once. It was 30 letters, the 30 words of baby repetitively. It's just over like... Over and over, 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 over. Oh, I could... We yeah. should have... Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have looked them up before we started the podcast. That song a... wasn't called Baby, was it? I think so. <laughs> I think so. There was a song that Trent Reznor did uh, on a Nine Snails record. Oh, I don't remember. Back in the two thousands, where the lyric is, "I kid, I kid you not." This is the lyric: "Is I've got my arms a flip, flop, flip, flop, flip." That's the actual lyric. Lyric in a song called <sighs> "Getting Smaller." I got my arms a flip, flop, flip, flop, flip. That's yeah. the lyric. Yeah. There's That's, nothing else. Well, there's more, but I don't remember oh, what came okay, before okay. and after. But it was just very. <clears throat> Not good. So this is about the the best of what you'd see in any second-rate pop track, yeah. lyric-wise. No, yeah. that's pretty good. Yes, that's that's exactly what it is, and I don't think... I mean, it's almost something I don't feel is worth harping on, although we probably will a few more times. It, I see, but... It's clear here that this is one of those cases where the music is the focus. Um, even now, granted, the music has its own issues, which I think is one of the reasons we're going back to harp on these second-rate lyrics. Um, It'd be different if the music was so standoutish that we could ignore the lyrics, but the reality is the only reason no, we don't... No, yeah, I agree. The only reason we don't remember the lyrics is because we don't want to remember the lyrics. Same. Uh, Alright, moving on. on that, well, on that hand, I, I do actually like the outro in this track. I like yes. the way it kind of found, sounds kind of floaty and airy, like you're sitting on a cloud and it's floating away. But again, this, as far as a trio is concerned, a maddening intro, a funky outro, I mean, unless it's a metaphor for life. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get that deep. <laughs> I just, I, I can't. It's how my life's going. Okay, track six, Disappointed. Disappointed. Which is exactly how we're starting to feel at this point in the album. Um, this was just a very average track. I mean, I didn't it hate had, it. I, there were parts that I hated on this one. This one, I did hate two things. 
uh, three points. Three points. For, par, point one. Not something I hated. But in the beginning, <laughs> the intro had... Only way I could point them out is deep chimes. It's like you turned that almost standard chiming noise and brought it down a thousand decibels. I mean, I was more focused on the whole clapping bit at this point. I really okay. don't see... Point two the... and point three... <sighs> Point two is the clapping was insufferable. Brother. And point three was I hated the way they treated the guitar. First of all, the guitar is... And, oh, we had quite an argument about this, but I'm... You're bringing it up again here. Yes. And it makes me think it's the same exact point you brought up before, which is that the guitar doesn't use its full potential. That's an excellent way of putting it. The guitar feels constrained to only do one specific thing, which is what what I'm feeling a lot of the 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 synthesizer well, is stuck doing as well. Then let me just interrupt and say that the guitar is not even the focus in this track, in my opinion. It's not even it, it's not even worth mentioning the guitar because You're... there's no rule anywhere that says that you can't use a guitar as color, as as a soundbite in many ways. People think and. Granted, we had a massive discussion on the guitar at some point a couple episodes ago about all it can do and the prominence that it has within modern music. But almost the point of obnoxiousness, the guitar does not have to be that, and this album doesn't hint, except in a couple places coming up, that the guitar is going to be a prominent feature. So the fact, even in the funky track, it was really used more as a loop itself, it just was, to get that he, funky he, riff going. He, I'm okay with that. In this case, in Disappointed... They used it terribly. I, I gotta say that See, it's, but it's terribly just... is a matter of opinion. It's not fact. My opinion, they used it really bad. Because oh, they're God. using it as they're using it as a soundbite, and if that's what they want to do, it's a soundbite, and that's it. That's my well, point. The more the more disappointing thing about this track was a the clapping got repetitive by the end. I think that's something. Now, I'll say all right. The middle. We're doing this all out of order, but I just want to say that. In the beginning, it was intriguing. Yes. In the beginning, was. I was actually Absolutely. very intrigued by that whole clapping bit. You know, all right, it's something catchy, and this is not supposed to be dance electronica, necessarily. This is supposed to be something that's supposed to lure you in a little bit, and I liked that, you know, the clapping took the rhythm choice that it did. The thing that, that really kills me about this track, and again, I, all in all, I thought it was kind of average. I didn't love it or hate it, was just the fact that it was kind of very cliche. The sound bites in I, this, I just the, nothing stood out to me about I'm it not, that we I'm hadn't not heard before. The, like, there's tons of other tracks on this album. There's only fourteen tracks in this album, but there's a lot of other tracks in this album you could identify as having cliche moments here and there, and this is just not one of them. For me, that's not a, that's not case enough to say that it's cliche. We're talking about a few things here. We're talking about okay, yes, it's got a a high and a low clap tone, which are arranged in a, in a pleasantly rhythmic fashion, in my opinion. Secondly, you've got this bass, which is very 80s synth bass, the kind of stuff you'd probably find in a Nintendo. And granted, it doesn't have a full range of dynamics, per se, but it is interesting. It's not the kind of thing that you hear in modern electronica or in modern pop. And considering this album kind of straddles the line between electronica and pop and industrial it seemed like a per perfectly reasonable choice to include these kinds of these kinds of sound bites i enjoyed it my biggest problem is i've heard him do something similar on other nice nails records and better i'm not even comparing like i'm not i 
I did not come into this album like as a as a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, if if even any at all. I I expected stuff you know that was harking back to '90s era. In fact, it sounds like he's doing a little bit more with that and taking us back further in time to the late '80s. And yes, and while I, I appreciated that that flexibility. And while I understand that you're not comparing it to Nine Snails because you don't have that much experience with Nine Snails, I can't turn off my knowledge of Nine Snails. Fair enough. I'm a fan. And this album makes... I was not a fan of. I mean, it's well, just... And at this point, I'm just hearing something that he's done before and done better, even on this album. Because honestly, the, 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 the sampling and the tones well, of, of, of Copy of a or Find My Way were better than this song. Hence why I just felt like this was average Nine Inch Nails music. Eh, I, I can't buy I mean, I, I have a few reasons behind it. And one of which I said is that 80s bass. But it's also uh, the type... The tone they were using with it, which was... Sort of like a crisscross between like a steel drum and uh, tablas, those those Indian instruments. You know, that's the, my deep chimes. Uh, that's what you were talking. I have the no exact other way. Opposite of what it is. No, it's like a. I, I have no other way to describing it besides that. It's hard. It's a. It's a hard tone to actually describe. You were probably thinking of something acoustic, and you went down that route <laughs> to yeah. try and describe a bass acoustic. Yeah, you know, I don't. I'm not even gonna try to unearth that, but. It was interesting to me, personally. The, the third thing I'm going to mention is the vocals. I think it's a bit of a split in my mind as to whether the vocals actually worked or not. But I could easily see why they wouldn't. Uh, I'm sure both of you are probably going to agree with that. Then again, maybe you won't, but having more Nine Inch Nails experience with me. it. But to the average listener, it sounds sort of... Well, I'll just come out and say it, kind of off-key. It sounds yeah. really, really flat, you know... As if he's missing the note. At the same time, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. Obviously, that is that's his style. That's his art. He's made a career off of doing that, and he sings in the same exact way that I described in the earlier tracks here. The copy of a, the comeback haunted. That very close, right up against your, you know, your ear in the creepy vibe. He was doing that same exact thing here, but because it was so against. The backbeat, I guess you could say, it almost felt like two separate animals. It was very divorced. It felt as almost yeah. as if he sang the track and then put a backbeat behind it that he just felt like throwing in right. there. But the other side of the equation, the split end there, is that um, I also think it added to the creepiness of the track. So yeah. I'm giving it, this track just a little bit of credit. I'm not as down on it as you guys, because this... There's a lot worse to come. Oh, in yeah, my again, I didn't say it was bad. Yeah. I said it was average. Yeah, and the outro, it's th- too, had things to be, uh, to yeah, behold. Well, I mean, the transition, the whole, like, loud to soft business, I kind of like that dynamic. Um, ended on a nice D-Mixolydian scale. I, was, I don't even know what know, that was. That's a Mixolydian scale. What do you need to know? <laughs> what a Mixolydian is, but... <laughs> It was, an, it was an interesting to, uh, move, considering the creepiness of the beginning. It moved into more of a positive-sounding well, scale, so it was an interesting we did We did get something positive. We got everything. Track 7. Wait, which song. was... It was a combination of 80s glam and thrash metal. I don't Not know even. What even. I don't even it know what sounded they were going ex- for. No, it sounded exactly like Depeche Mode, but, but old Depeche Mode, which, I mean, take it or leave it. It just sounded like an 80s pop song. It was bizarre and really short and repetitive and just yeah, I'm sorry if I felt the need to uninspiring over, I'm sorry if I felt the need to over describe the last track I mean over describe it because it it is a I needed to like put both 
sides against each other. You know, just, just to hear exactly what's going on here. Because yeah. on one hand, you have everything I just said about Disappointed, which I think at least is a, a semi-original soundscape. And then you're followed with Trek 7, everything, which is anything but original. This yeah. Now this, if you're going to talk, talk about cliches and tropes, I'm sorry, but this is the track to oh, yeah, attack. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wait, who said cliches and tropes? All of us. <laughs> well, no, but I meant, like, in the disappointed, I... I... Uh, no, you no. said uh, uh, cl- cliched, um, cliched clips and sound bites from disappointed. Was oh, disappointed okay, about. all right. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah, saying that right. I don't find that as cliche personally, but I feel like anyone would find... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Trek 7 to be cliche. Like, yes... First of all, yes. this is not electronica here. No. This is straight up like 80s glam rock, as they said. Yeah. So, like, where, in, in what mind, do both of those tracks work back to back? And also the fact that this is the more or less the middle track, yet it doesn't break up the album really at all. Yeah, you'd it, almost expect it to be like, oh, well, maybe it's an intermission. But how does that work? I don't see how that tone works as an intermission. No, not at all. And it just it doesn't fit his demeanor. It doesn't fit the demeanor of the record, this loose theme that there really isn't even any at all like but every other song has been fairly dour or down or introspective at least in tone a bit whereas this just it just blows that all away by the way this is the example that i was bringing up earlier and not in a good way (laughs) this is the example um of a track that uses more band oriented instruments that i just thought was weak and i think it's weak next to the electronica stuff to be honest. No, absolutely it is. Extremely weak. But it's not weak because they used band stuff. That's irrelevant. It's what they did with the band stuff. It's more the fact that it was repetitive. Right. I mean, like, this is a case where I would use John's point from earlier. That, oh, you take a guitar and you're using, like, you know, uh, just two notes here and there. And why only use that when you could obviously go further with it? It's an irrelevant point, in my opinion, when it comes to all-time low and disappointed. Because... It's not as prominent. Actually, it, uh, detract all-time low from that. Just disappointed. But in this track, it's clearly the focus. I mean, when you have yeah. a steady guitar riff going back and forth, that is the focus. That's, that's what you're hearing. Obviously, that's something that you would want to evolve. You would want it to change yeah. up. And do. Instead, it was in the it, forefront, and they did nothing. They just strummed till their hands fell off. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I understand it's, it's like ambient for glam rock <laughs> i mean no i'm serious about well, that. yeah of course Think- if we compared this to poison it would be an art piece but that's not the point yes it's really not the point no so honestly actually, i'd still a, rather listen much, to poison there's a much bigger point to be made about this uh this track here and it starts getting worse and worse throughout the rest of this album and that's the yep. cutaways Oh my god. These cut- First of all, you'd think a man who's made a career out of production and mixing would know how to transition between a, a damn track. Most of the tracks from here on out, the transitions are so abrupt they might as well be separate songs or non-existent. I mean, let's put it this way. Again, could be art rock. Could It could be art rock. Because it's not unlike art rock to pull crazy transitions on you because it's all about sort of changing your mood at the drop of a hat. And there are cases that exist in music where I do enjoy that. Where I don't, you know, I'm not as drawn to the formulaic A, B, back to A, transition, closing. You know, in this stuff, in this stuff, granted, you're not really getting that, but it doesn't offer you much else. It's Uh, not giving you that overall form where you can accept new types of form. Instead, it's just awkward cutaways, and then they do bring you back. Like, what is the B? (laughs) <laughs> and, and 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 I hate to and I hate to keep saying this, but honestly, 
you know, I mean, for me personally, and this is a very personal feeling, as a Nine Inch Nails fan, this is not what I freaking want to hear. Not at all. Like, <laughs> no, and, I, no. and I know it shouldn't just be about that, because we covered this on Green Day and Jimmy Eat World and a few well, other ones. And we're going to go into this later, that he's a solo artist. Of course, he can do whatever he wants. And to be honest, that's that's one of the, the, the negatives of that, is that because you can do whatever you want, Eh, there's, there's no one to checking you. There's no there's no and also, other person in the you room. You don't to really say, have hmm. boundaries or confinement because you, you could do whatever you want. That you're if you're on your own label and you're your own producer and your own creator, there's no one there's no checks and balances because you can literally do whatever you want. There's nothing to say, well you can't do that, you're so and so. Like Justin Bieber can't go out and make a metal track because he's Justin Bieber and his producer, his manager, the record company, everyone's gonna say no, 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 no. Whereas you don't have that with this. Anyway, moving on to the next track, Satellite. Speaking of doing whatever you want, Satellite, I did enjoy the guttural beat. I did enjoy the high tones. I did not really understand why they were using a satellite beep. I don't know why Satellite was anywhere near what else was in this track. It's so awkward, this track. And also me and Steve mentioned many times, there's at least three other songs called Satellite that are way better than this one. <laughs> it's such, a, it's such a, a shallow point, of course. But, you know, you, you see the name and you're just like, oh, yeah, Satellite. And, of course, you think back to those tracks that... Because it's a common name. I don't know why that is. I don't I, know I can't either. explain it, but, I don't know. Something about going around the Earth that's... Some people think it's cool. <laughs> kind of is, though. Space is cool. Space, anyway. space. Look at that space. This space didn't do space. It did not give anything. I I didn't what? Know, I didn't care about the words. What? The song I really just what happened? <laughs> it was a round. It was a round that didn't evolve. It, it is. Was it is so awkward and the transitions and then the dragging. No, no, on I, I actually end. agree oh, with the, that. Yeah. How it drags on at the end and it's just like you just want the song to be over, but no, there's another two more minutes. Oh, I can't with this song. It just it was not I good. won't I won't with this song. Next. All right. Moving on to various, various methods, methods of escape. Of escape. Thank you for mimicking me, Steve. Well, echoing. You weren't mimicking cuz you weren't mocking, you were echoing. No, I was playing I was playing in unison and then I was echoing. Anyway. Anyway. Uh various that methods. That was mimicking. <laughs> various methods of escape. All I wrote was that it picks up towards the end. So apparently the first half of the song doesn't exist. It had a great guitar outro. Not great. It had a deep oh, outro. We all, do you only have something about the ending also? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it had depth in its outro in the guitar yeah. work. That's yeah. about as best I can say. Right, Otherwise, describe, forget. Just to describe the reason why I have nothing to say about the, about the intro and whole A section here. Is the reason... There is really no climax to this album. It doesn't seem to be building towards something. And this is why I do stress a lot about, you know, album arc. Um, we all stress about album arc. Not not all of us in the world, though. There's a lot of people that think the album should be dead, that it doesn't belong anywhere within the iTunes generation of just downloading songs for 99 cents. If you're going to have the individual song, why do you need an album? Why do you need a collection of things when you can get singles at the drop of a hat? Well... I personally think it's a much more challenging art form to write something, or at least loosely write something, over the course of 45 minutes to an hour than write something over the course of three minutes. I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's, that it, it shows you're able to get a little bit more of a long-lasting artistic satisfaction. Hence, Boards of Canada. Hence, Kvekker. Hence, uh, Godsticks. Hence, 
everything we've really done this year. Everything that we've held in, in high esteem. Yes. Um, and the fact of the matter is, there is just this point where when you're introduced to a few themes, you, you want that build-up. You want, you want some meaning to start forming around this, around this time, around this 8th track or so. 8th, uh, ninth track, and it just does not occur here. There is, it's more like it plateaus, if anything, it's really gone through a decline, and then it plateaus at sort of this mid to low range, where it's really just soundscapes. I can't really go beyond that. I mean, there's no theme, there's no hook, there's not really that much connection to the earlier work, yeah. except the loose uh, uh, inclusion of, of th those techno themes. Those techno, uh, sorry, not themes, tones. Yeah. That's about it. It's as far as I can go. So, yeah, that's why I'm going to omit the first half of this track. There's just no hook. Last half, kind of cool. Yeah. You described it, John, as having this underwater effect. Like, the yeah. whole thing yeah. was being played underwater, yeah. which did give it, it was, a bit it, of a... It had a lot, a lot of, of that deep feeling. And considering the that title... Deep Considering considering the title various uh, means methods of escape, it's like this kind of idea that he's sunk in something underwater and is trying to escape from uh, it by the no, end of the song. No, that's a lot more depth. Too much credit. Yeah, too much credit. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's more like he's trying to get into a Russian submersible and cross the Arctic Circle. So crazy doesn't really make a lot of sense, but kind of cool. I guess that might be the best. I'm going to offer a third theory. He came up with an idea, it was a good idea, and he put it on the record. I don't know really whether it had any meaning as to where it could have fallen or not. Could have fallen at the beginning, could have fallen at the end. It just fell somewhere, and having come across it in my album Travels, I liked it. But it went as soon as it came. Wow, do I and sound that it. dumb when I say I liked it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just yeah. wanted to make sure. <laughs> okay, I liked it. <laughs> okay, good. But yes, I see I your said point. It better. Uh huh. <laughs> I see your point. But no, really quick, I think I figured out the album arc. The album is an Alzheimer's patient. Oh lord, you're gonna have to make that argument later. Next, I'm track. not even seriously trying to support that argument. Next track, ten. Running, ten. Number ten, running. Uh, I already forgot about it. <laughs> okay. Um, the <laughs> screeching guitar tones were probably the worst things I've he ever heard a guitar play in a long time. I will give it. One, there was something about the beat that was uh, very infectious. I enjoyed infectious. that part of it. There you go. That's the same word I'd use to describe that for that funk song from earlier. All this, time this kind of fungus. I was really appreciating. I was really appreciating the experimentations that were going on with the layering and the combinations. And yeah, you're right. That guitar was a great idea. That was John done just just so poorly. Oh, poorly. Punctuated, screeching guitar notes. Did well, not mesh. I can't remember. What did all. we compare it to? Oh, um, the aliens from uh, Mars Attacks? Or... 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 Or Sea Otter. Or there was something... There was Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Velociraptors from... Yeah, the way they call their... Uh, Where they yell at... Or, or, or like a Sea Otter. Coordinate or, attacks or, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting. Speaking of which, on a slight tangent, there was this great video I saw from Japan a couple weeks ago 
of the best prank ever. Some guy run, comes down to the end of a corridor and sees people through the doorway running for their lives. And then a giant raptor comes around the corner and chases him down the hall. It's a dude in a suit. It's and it's very, a dude in a suit, but the, but the puppetry of the suit looks so real that it looks like a raptor's coming after him. And the dude freaks and takes off down the ha- hallway. It's hilarious. That's awesome. It was. I might have seen that. That's yeah, I posted nice. it on Facebook. But I'm I'm glad to have it reminded me because I, I needed that right now. Anyway, yes. I did. That, Back on track. That that video was awesome, and running was not. Yeah. No. Moving on. It sounded like someone was running. Yes, uh, it, it did. It was accurate, especially at the end when he's out of bed going, "I'm running, I'm running." I'm already not even not to the beat, not to nothing. No, he was just out of breath, going, "All right, all right, I'm right." And that's what happens. So it's yes. accurate. Jeez, oh and my god, that was ac- accuracy. That's what I want in my there music. Oh, jeez, that's what Moving I want. On. <laughs> I, would I would for you. It's not this unison thing. Oh, uh, the okay. verses were quirky and awkward. The chorus was cliche as hell. They were so disconnected. They were so completely disconnected. It was two different songs. Yeah, it, it really was, a was split end. If I ever heard one, it's like, hey, I took, I made song A and I made song B, but song A and song B aren't enough to be songs on their own. So let's just mesh them up. Yeah, I did, and I, I really couldn't come up with any reason for that. I mean, artistically speaking, uh, what's the point in describing, you know, the artistic reasons when I, I've come I to an, an impasse? I've come to an impasse, and I just don't enjoy it. I have an artistic reason. He was really lazy and wanted to put them both on the album. Well, I already kind of said, like, in terms of the whole end of this album, yeah. there's just, there's a laziness there. There's a, there's a petering out. The whole this thing has that feels that phoned in. Like Anthony Hopkins and Thor, it feels phoned in. Bite your tongue. He uh, was good. No, he wasn't. He, just uh, he slept through that movie. And I loved, the, I liked the Thor movie, well, but he... Anthony Hopkins was barely acting. He he. That's because he slept during that movie. That was the point. <laughs> anyway, back on track. So yeah, I would for you is just. I mean, there's nothing to talk about. It was awkward. It was no, the, bad. The courses were really bad. The verses were interesting. It had a it had a, a a stuttering beat that played with the speed that I did not like initially, but did grow on me and did do something interesting to the actual verses. That's the redeeming quality here. I mean, yeah. Sure. sure. <laughs> but uh, this is a point where this was even more stark contrast uh, than we found in everything and, and various methods of escape. It, it's just a contrast that I just couldn't get on board with. I mean, there are reasons why artists should have stark contrasts. They should be built in context. They should do something that you'd... At least it should move you in some way. This wasn't a contrast This was moving. This was just an obvious, you know... A thing. A thing. It was a thing. It was a thing. It was a thing with the thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Now, before we move on, because there's only three tracks left, thank the Lord, does anyone, and I'm going to go break the fourth wall a little bit, does anyone have notes for the last three tracks before we talk about them? Yes. Oh. I got one word. I wrote down three what? words. I have one word course. also. Because I, I was hoping that you all said no, that no one had notes, because I say, great, we're done, let's move on to the wrap-up. Because <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah. yes, the next track, track 12, is Into I Have Nothing to Say About. Absolutely okay. nothing. This was This is even really, more petering out than I said this before. This is really bad say. vocal works. The rest of the vocal works were just subpar. This is just bad. It is a yelling effect from two miles away from the mic. You cannot hear him. I cannot believe they did that. That's too. right. This was the one that had the backbeat that was louder than the singing. And how can you do that? And then they dropped everything out 
of the song until he just had a single simple bass work and his vocals and the vocals got lower than the bass and I I was right they dropped everything out choice. for emphasis and there was no emphasis yeah I do recall that that was a that's quite something wasn't it and that ridiculously <laughs> long drawn out outro and seagulls there were seagulls. Right, noises. the screeching of yeah, the seagulls. Yeah, I'm almost wondering if that was just a uh, something that we, we we thought in the aftermath might have been might have sounded like seagulls, you know, like through the speakers. Right. I don't know not, what but... it was. It sounded just like seagulls. What? I don't Even know. if it wasn't, who you know cares? what? Sometimes seagulls happen. So, <laughs> track thirteen. Okay. While I'm still here. Worst transition in the entire album. From first that, off. from into into. For, yeah, from yeah. from twelve to thirteen. First off. There because is it, no because transition. Because it went into this track. Yes. You, there was no transition. It? No, that's the wrong two. You ruined my joke. It's not very punny. John the joke ruiner. Unbelievable. I make the puns around here. <laughs> oh, God, we're doomed. <laughs> anyway, this song was, was it was an awkward transition. The song was, again, kind of very cliche, boring, uninspiring, blah, it was blah, blah, sweet. blah, blah, blah. It was there sweet. was a sweet moment in it, yeah. And then we go into Black Noise, the final track, which is the outro track. It's a minute and a half of blech. It's a minute well, it and goes a half. Out, it goes out the same way the album it's, rang it's, in. I'll give it that much credit. It is kind of bookended in that fashion. It is... Continuation of While I'm Still Here. Literally. Yeah. Go, it's a there's literal no break. continuation. Well, you know what that was. That was probably just a, a little blip with the... With, with, uh, oh, the let's record. not forget the... Um, what was it? Trumpets at the end? Or... or, or um, Saxophones. Saxophones at the end that you were trying to identify. Very jazzy sample saxophones that so, were in the vein of Robbie Williams, which we've mentioned before. Very yeah, like a, like a, cliche and not necessary at all. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they, that was, it was very out of place. Then you know, this kind of Scottish moment yeah. there. Um, but there was no reason for it. None. I'm not going to say it was a bad moment, but yeah, you were, there was no reason for it. it it's was, all about context, and this is just where it comes down to. Even if there are nice moments, and granted, I'm sure that... Uh, uh, a Nine Inch Nails listener may go through this album and find plenty of nice moments. Point Actually, is context, I and I just don't I don't see their point in the grand scheme any. of things. Because yeah, there were even like you said about why I'm still here. You know that was kind of a sweet song. It was it got, it got a very thin down on the minute. I do kind of feel like there's a winding down aspect, and that does have got a sort of a pleasing air to it. Because you know I did want this album to end, <laughs> so you know it did achieve that. Uh, but then the black noise, you know, it kind of it, all it does is just connect you to the first track. You get that effect, that the the electronic technology, the vague, the ever so vague theme of a technology. It's sort of world. like saying at the end of the record, yes, this was awesome, and you should like it, and they did a very poor job of doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. I, I can't. Uh, why don't okay, you ta- wrapping up. Yeah, why don't you take Who us into the wrap up, to... Steve? I want to. Oh, start. I, I oh wanna... you want to start? Jim? You want to start, Steve? No, you could do it. John. I've been starting a lot. You could do it. Okay, I trust. Kind of. Vocals were subpar. Lyrics were atrocious. That's forget about all that right now. The earlier part of the album did have some nice little shining moments. Uh, I'd say there's like. Three songs, four songs that sort of stand up here. Nothing really stands out. Rest of it is either music in a vague sense to not very good at all. I'm in the two to two and a half range. So I'm going to go with a two, two, five. 
Okay. It's not as bad as the punk we got out of Green Day, but it's almost there. Hmm. I or you, Matt? I guess I'll go next. So, this was tough for me. It, it br- So, okay. What I need to get out of a bad album to still enjoy something about it and rate it somewhere is there has to be a couple tracks that I hook on. Better or worse, on the Bare Naked Ladies album that I didn't like at all, really, there are three songs that I did really like. So, those are on my iPod. The rest of the album is not. There is not a track on this record I would put on my iPod. Not one. Not a single one. I just... I would forget it, like all those Green Day albums we reviewed, because none of the three of those are on my iPod either. Here's my problem. As a Nine Inch Nails fan, and I know we have to judge it against the pantheon of music, and I know that's important for what we do here, but first I'm going <laughs> to... That's what I say we should do. <laughs> but but I'm going to have a very selfish moment as a diehard Nine Inch Nails fan and say, as a diehard Nine Inch Nails fan, this album is horribly disappointing. However, I feel like once my friends who are diehard Nine Inch Nails fans are going to think I'm crazy, because I've already seen some of them post on the Facebooks and the Twitters, that they think it's great, and it's amazing, and he did it again. I don't see it. I don't. So either I grew up, or it just sucks now. Either way... I think you're just actually exposed to more varieties of music, so you're able to pick out a better variety of quality. Or I honed my analytical ear over the last year, and what was once good to me is now not as good. Either way. Because I've listened to Old Nine Inch Nails and I still enjoy it. This album, however... That makes me proud. See, I got them on, the, on this arc kick. It's kind of cool. That's okay. I make you read words now. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. Tones were my and vocabulary. You both, I didn't get to say this on air last week, or was it two weeks? Either way. When we reviewed Blue October... Two weeks. Two weeks ago, and you guys rated it a little lower, and I rated it fairly high, and I was struggling with where I felt emotionally. You both insisted that I keep it where it was, if not higher, because it was a great emotional album. A year ago, you guys might not have seen that, but because we've all kind of grown together and you see what I look for, it kind of meant a lot to me that you guys noticed that and we acknowledged it on the podcast. Cheers. It's proof that we're growing. (laughs) Anyway, to wrap up this album, there were moments that I did enjoy... There were moments that I enjoyed, but as a whole, I just I can't get behind this album. It's a two. I just there's nothing redeemable about it to me on the whole. There's no theme. There's no arc. There are moments and songs, but then the more I hear these songs, the less I like them. Fine. And it's a long, long album. Yeah. Find a massive one. Find my way was the closest I got to liking something, and I still don't know that that one would be enough for me to listen to. Um, It's it's a two for me. I'm. I just. I didn't like it. It to me, this could have been Flying Lotus. There were, but even on Flying Lotus, I loved Po' Boy Strut. That song was great. Putty Boy Strut. Putty Boy Strut. Putty Boy Strut is still on my iPod. Like so. So technically, I feel like I should rate it lower, but rating the older in the older episodes were wonky a bit anyway. Anyway, it's a two. I just a disappointment for music, and even bigger disappointment for Nine Nails. Oh dear. Well, I think we're all going to be fairly consistent with uh, what we've been saying throughout and our, our stances and things. Um, yeah, the fact of the matter, I'm, I'm going to try to pr- try to be as objective as possible uh, in this particular case. Uh, we never really did anything industrial before. Now, industrial is kind of the thing that I've never listened to industrial music on an album scale. I'm going to be very upfront with that. So, uh, my rating should not be the end-all be-all of ratings as if, as if it ever would be. But mine should. 
Look at Mr. Please, you can't name three industrial bands. It's a tough one. Like this is what and I was gonna say. Industrial Nine Snails, KMFDM, um, uh, Rammstein. No, oh, brother. And See, then the, I kind these of three, yeah, those that. are the three that everybody knows. And then yeah, they, they, there is a much more rich culture there. Gravity and kills. I don't, don't want But they broke up. And I'm, I don't want to uh, impugn the culture. Because there is yeah. better out there. Oh, for sure. And even if we don't hear them on full albums, we don't always get the chance. Because this is a little bit more of an off, off the beaten track genre. This is not like. Well, I just had an idea, but I'll mention it later. Oh. Go on. Uh, okay, you, you, you recall that. I will. Um, but we see them in pop culture. We see them around. We see a lot in movies. In fact, the '90s was had no shortage of movies that included this science kind of stuff. fiction, fantasy, action. The Mortal Kombat soundtrack or, uh, had tons of techno, religious in themes, themed films, demonic themed fact, films. Three, they love to go down that Constantine, yeah, the that, Matrix, more, anything with Keanu Reeves for a while, anything with Keanu for a while. Had it all over it. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. post-apocalyptic. The you know they are really suited to these types of films. They really do make you feel on edge. They do feel. Menacing. Like if you were placed in that environment and you suddenly heard that soundtrack, I think you'd run and hide. Um, and I would even apply that a little bit to this album. But there's definitely a point there where I would take myself out of that environment and just forget. Like I would wake up from the dream. I would wake up because this would be one of those lucid dreams. I would know I was dreaming. I would know that it's not immersing me. It's not pulling me anywhere. It's not really guiding me on any kind of a journey. All I do is hear a vague semblance of a journey, which means it doesn't feel authentic. And if it doesn't feel authentic, I can't rate it very high, regardless of how I feel about certain elements of the music. Because you've already heard my positives. Electronica-wise, I do think he knows how to work a synth. I do think he knows how to work a, a mixing board. I think, uh, actually, in terms of mixing, especially the uh, super quality audio file release that I listened to, um, that is a release specifically intended for people that love to hear panning left and right. They love to hear all the exaggerated features of what you really don't get on downloaded music, typical downloaded music. MP3s just don't cut it, you know, for those kinds of uh, extreme ends of the spectrum. They compress everything, and to some extent, uh, CDs do too. Not as much. I think CD is probably the thing that we should all judge by, CD quality. Not everyone has a chance to get the flat version. In any case... It was impressive on that end, um, but it wasn't enough, and that's my big conclusion here, is that as much as I was enjoying the, the effect work going on, I was enjoying the popping, I was enjoying the crisp nature of it, there was no form, there was no hook, there was nothing really to latch onto. There was only a couple of tracks that had bits and pieces of it. I did like the funk, and that even doesn't match up with anything else in the album. The, the couple of things I did like were things divorced from the quote-unquote theme at play. Ah, uh, I'm going to throw it a little bit up from where I throw the a lot of my ratings where I, I describe a genre that has been tried and true and done to death. I tend to put those at two. I'm going to throw this a little bit higher and agree with John. Uh, 2.25. Yeah, so on the overall rating scale, on the big frame of skip it, listen to it, buy it, skip, skip it. it. This is a skip. It's not worth it. Even if you're a Nine Nails fan, if you're, unless, an you're an Electronica fan. I mean, this. I mean, if you're a not Electronica out there, yeah, it's just skip this. There's nothing redeeming about this record, um, and I'm probably catch flack for that. Which, but honestly, bring it on. I'll, I'll, I just want to point something out. I had high hopes 
for this album because I went on the Wikipedia page and made the mistake of actually starting to read the reviews. Oh. And it did very good. It did very good. Really? Dear. Did they have a Rolling Respectably. Stone? Respectably. Yeah. I did not I do not recall Rolling Stone, but Metacritic gave it almost an eighty. I saw a couple of five stars on top of that. It did surprisingly well. I just I don't get it. I guess it's just it just further proves my famous tried and true saying, but it's just it's I think it's everyone I think there's a reason. Music no, I think there's a reason. I think it's because it was a very pop stylized album. Well, you know, I'll say that for it. It does it does popify industrial. If that means anything. Which is a phenomenal thing anyway. to bring to this world. Yeah. So, sarcastically. I was on the verge of actually giving it like a 2.5, but I'm going to lower it for Ark. Ark really... No, yeah, Ark is important. Too. There's I mean, very little Ark over the course Arc of Arc isn't the end-all be-all, but when your lyrics are laughable, you need something else, yeah. and Ark would have helped it. Exactly. The problem is... When and you, also the fact that the last half of this album is unlistenable. When John doesn't... <laughs> that, that, that doesn't help when John either. doesn't mention lyrics after the third track... The third track! I'm no, making three with my fourth, fingers. It was the fourth, oh, fourth track, track. And it was only the third time I complained And there were still them. ten more tracks? You know there's a problem. <laughs> I'm not even... Ra- I mean, I wasn't even rating for, uh, against lyrics, because the fact of the matter is, most of this is instrumental. It's not It's not great instrumental, but it's. it, it doesn't... The lyrics are there... But Nine Inch Nails is there. But Nine Inch Nails isn't an instrumental band, and this wasn't an instrumental record because he was singing and singing actual words. But going on to another topic, speaking of instrumental records, so moving, Serge Tankian got two new records out that we just found out about, and the reason I'm bringing up Serge is because it goes back to our topic. He's got a jazz album, and he has a classical album. Both came out over the summer, one in July and one in June. And the reason we're talking about Serge is Serge is like. Trent Reznor, a artist who is a band unto himself. He does every aspect of his music. Composition. When, when going solo, yeah. Composition, uh, writing, production, performance. lyrics, performance. Everything revolves around a single individual. Other a, band- a lot of this has to do with the personality you play. I mean, it, for instance, if you're a perfectionist, it's almost it, it's almost the only way you can work. So there, there are other artists that fall into this category too. For the first half of their career, a band called Vast was primarily just done by John Crosby, as well as Abandoned Pools, who we've reviewed, is Tommy Walter. It does everything for that band. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to talk about really is when you're a one-man band, so to speak, and I'm not talking about a solo artist like Kid Rock, who it's Kid Rock, but other people help him write and perform. Not I'm talking about standard. someone who yeah, is no, the control freak who takes over everything, which Nine Inch Nails is famous for. What are the pros and cons? I mean, because you've got to think, when you're in a band... Yes, please do omit stars from this. This is not about the person on stage who, no. who is just a, a face, you know, and a voice. Well, yeah. This is big, about the composer. The big thing with a lot of solo R&B, hip-hop, and rap artists is that they're not solo. They write the lyrics, sure. They may do a lot of work with the production of the of the music, but for the most part, they've got a team working on them. Someone like Serge Tankian. Serge Tankian probably has somebody in the booth with him. But he's the one flipping all the knobs coming up with the instruments. He's the one writing down the notes. That's hard. Because you can't... It's it's not... You also have to be a director as well. If you do have... I mean, obviously you're going to have session musicians for, for many cases. And you need to... 
to kind of tell them what to do. Uh, it it just it requires a very specific kind of personality. You don't always need session musicians though. With the with the well, great course, strides in technology, you can record every track yourself and oh, mix course. them together. And I, I don't know exactly to what extent uh, Serge Tankin. I, I'm sure that Serge Tankin has some. Uh, People he, who do he's not he's not him. a multi I mean he yeah, probably is a multi instrumentalist but I don't, I don't, even multi instrumentalists usually pass the torch over to the ones who are able to perform it as best as they can in that particular element. So the point is the point is he knows what will happen with that instrument. He knows when he wants a particular film. Uh, 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 what call it? Uh, chord. <laughs> particular chord to change. There a particular you go. note to ring out. Now that is... Phil. That's the word I was looking for. Drum Phil. <laughs> yeah, you know when things are going to happen, but that actually hinders the people who may be playing the guitar for him or be playing the drums because a lot of times they're going to be playing well, by themselves. Well, like, I, like I've said, this I'm bringing it back to Nine Snails. I'm pretty confident that with Trent Reznor, he does everything. He doesn't bring in session musicians. He does it all himself. And then when he goes on tour, he brings session musicians on tour with him, and he has a band that's Nine Snails Live. And However, they, they learn their parts, but that's a detractor too. Right, and what's, what comes down to with this, and one of the major cons I foresee, and this album is a perfect example, is when you're the only one picking the music, creating it, writing it, mixing it, is there's no one to tell you, hey, nutcase, this isn't going to work. And I'm not saying that he's crazy. He may have genuinely thought that this was good. I mean, it's hard... You know, your tastes and everyone else's aren't always the same. But the, the fact of the matter is, if it was the Foo Fighters, it's not just Dave Grohl writing it, you know. The rest of the band is giving input, helping write, helping mix, helping decide stuff. When you're the only person, there's no one to bounce it off of to tell you it doesn't sound good or it does. It's back to the Justin Bieber thing. If he were to go off the rails and want to write a, 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 a metal song his whole record label would lose it. Usher would backhand but, him. But that's actually just saying that today's artists are not nearly as good as people that have come before because that's how Beethoven did it. I was just going to make that That's how Bach point. did it. That's the point I've been waiting to make, is that this is all handed down from the composer's tradition, which yeah. has, has always kind of been the one person planning it all for the rest because things were harder back then. You didn't have the... Uh, you didn't have recording capabilities, obviously, so all you could really do was just notate it on paper. And in many cases, when you're looking at all this endless sheets and sheets of parchment paper, you know, with staff lines on it, it's almost easier if you just have one person who does have all the ideas in his head, who can work it all out himself, rather than having a bunch of people team together to try to work off this. Otherwise, you'd be going through sheets and sheets and sheets of scrap paper and drafts and drafts, which even though so the one person probably still did. But the idea was that you were creating one product written by one person for the masses, which is why in classical tradition, it's all about interpretation. Because that's the big difference, I think, is that in those cases, the classical performers get up there to perform this work by another, by another per person, and they get to kind of take some liberties. As close to the original as possible, but they, there's always liberties when something is written on page. <clears throat> they shape the uh, uh, actual notes a little bit more. They also right, get this the is chance why... to change how much of an instrument is being used, especially in orchestra orchestral style. You can take out your violins in some cases, take out your horns. Right, the conductor, will, the conductor always makes uh, takes liberties with the original work. He will tell that horn section, nope, nope, I want you to play quiet. I want you to, the violins, raise yourself up. 
Yes, it is. Even if on occasion it, it is contrary to the original work. So yeah, th- that's that's different. When we're talking about the one-man band, it's more the fact that you have to control and play your work consistently. That makes it almost more internalized to me than uh, than classical classical composition. Yeah. So if it's more internalized and, you know, you're doing the mixing, well, not always doing the mixing, but in many cases they do, especially if you're signed to your own label, you're, you are doing your own mixing. If you're doing everything yourself, you have absolutely no cross-reference whatsoever. Yep. Absolutely none. Which is why a lot of people, and uh, let's go out and bring another name here, um, Primus, Les Claypool. Yeah. Les Claypool went solo for many years. He was his own, because he himself is kind of the driving force. He, he wrote oh, yeah. a he lot of Primus. Yeah, he was Primus, Primus for sure. Yeah. Everyone would admit right. that. But not in every case. Like, he's still working off of other musicians yeah, when he's in the Primus setting. But when Les Claypool goes solo, he just get, his mind can run wild. For yeah. some people, that's their shtick. Not for everyone. Some people like the cross-referencing that goes on in Primus. It keeps them a little bit more controlled. And I think I can go out and make that general statement that Primus is a more controlled work than Les Claypool solos. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's checks and balances. There's good and bad. I mean, first of all, if you're the artist, there's probably nothing better. Because honestly, what it comes down to is if Trent Reznor made this record and is happy with it himself, regardless of the reviews and bully. anything else. Just yeah. bully. Yeah, it, I mean, exactly. If he's happy with it and he had no cross-references, he's no threat of losing jo- his job, obviously, blah, blah, blah. And when he goes on concert, people are still going to go see him. It doesn't matter. It's mood. It's like trying to rate Halo as uh, the video game Halo low. You know, a lot of reviewers have said by the third, fourth game, giving Halo bad review doesn't mean diddly because Halo fans are still going to go buy it. Yeah. And it's kind of the same idea with this. So if you have that freedom to do whatever you want, as much as it may seem as like a con to us, it could be a, pl- a pro to him because, again, he doesn't have to reference with anybody. But I think finding a balance and still checking in with others can help because, you know, others' opinions besides your own sometimes are important. Well, there's also the vast majority of techno stars. Daft Punk is actually a little bit more unusual than your standard techno DJ is that there's two people. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is actually one of the main reasons why they do but, as good as they do. And it was the same do. for Boards of Canada, also two people. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a little bit different. Uh, I want to say, I'm going to make an overreaching statement, classical orchestral setting is probably actually easier to do as a soloist than techno, than more modern day sounds, because you just can do so much with a synthesizer on top of all the orchestral, because you have... Every note an orchestral uh, band can do, plus all the robotification of it, plus things that don't exist in the real world. I see your point, but I I disagree for one reason alone, hmm. and that's because of the interpretation that I included. A, comp- a composer needs to take that into account, that there will be people playing the work that they write. There will be people looking at this piece of paper and trying to make sense of it trying to to understand the flow. That means that it has to make sense in some way to each and every uh, performer in that orchestra, as well as the conductor himself, in order to know how to direct them. That's a very, very challenging thing. You You need to kind of understand the performer's etiquette. But, on the other hand, when you're writing electronica, granted, yes, you have more... The synthesizer has a lot of capabilities, but once you write it, it's written. It's done. It'll just continue to copy itself infinitely because it's in the digital world. In the digital world, there is, I mean, 
remixes may occur, but even remixes, that's well, not no. that's not an intended thing. Actually, that's something that just happens. At most concerts, uh, a techno G- DJ, an electronica DJ, is going to be remixing his own music on the fly. That's a big thing for concert work. Yeah, that's kind of something Daft Punk's always done is mixed in. But that's not the same thing as, as 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 you know digesting and performing a piece for a whole orchestra. That's but okay. Look at it this way. That's look just at, changing up a few loops here and there. Look at it. Look at it this way. If someone comes out nowadays with a new album, it's got to be a group of songs. If they're a composer, what would they write? They would write one long song. No, not necessarily. It would be broken up into movements and pieces, and there would be differences. But it's trying. It's going to be more in line with trying to convey one idea. Well, this is why. Well. See, I understand that that that's a cultural impasse because of the fact that the album has become the prevalent means of communication. Of course, that's what people expect. There's almost very little other way that you can obtain. I mean, even when you do obtain orchestral pieces, existing orchestral pieces, or the you know the the Philharmonic Orchestra of Philadelphia's rendition of the Scheherazade. You know, it's like, okay, that's one thing. So, but of course that's already written. So yeah, you can release that on an album or it might be appear on a set, perhaps. It's not the same thing. When we're talking about something that is released today, it's true that we do tend to expect separate individual pieces. Your typical 10 to 15 track range. But... There are certain contemporary composers that do do that. Uh, although they, of course, mix it with a little bit of rock here and there. You know, there's um, composers that are up and coming. Actually, probably they've already up and come. And this is people like Shower Warden with uh, My Brightest Diamond, uh, Annie Clark with uh, St. Vincent. These are wonderful composers, and these are young upstarts, and they've actually been able to make a name for themselves by composing, by sort of being their one-man, one one-woman band, and... Uh, Sending out their stuff to session musicians, and also giving their pieces to ensembles like uh, Y Music. They're a group of ensembles that specifically play composers' works. Also, keep in mind there are bands like um, uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra. That's I mean, it's a rock band with an orchestra, and all of their music is on a track by track digestible basis, but it still has these sweeping movements. Um, and then, I mean, also, we're going to eventually get back to this Serge Tankian album that he did. The, the track listing was five tracks, five movements, and each track, or it was four movements, either four. way. and I think it was called Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4. They had sub-names, but they all were in eight, eight minutes each. So, I yeah. mean, it's and probably doable. Another big thing is, uh, especially for us, we've whenever we review, we focus a lot of times on the connectivity between songs, between our arcs and theme work and everything like but that. But if we were to well, re- you know, re- appreciate it. But if we were a, but if we were going to review a modern classical which is so redundant or oxymoron contemporary classical is what we like, that's what we like to say. Yeah. Contemporary classical album we might have that might be the first time we might not be able to do a track by track. We may have to look at it as one piece with movements. And it let's might tell you be this, it would a be a very different more, kind of review. It would be a very difficult discussion. Yeah. But granted, you would trade out other things. Like, don't get me wrong, there's definitely a subtlety to creating an album arc when you have individual tracks. It's a subtle arc. I mean, obviously, when it's you're writing one track. piece, you will have one idea. 
Yeah. I mean, there's even it up. even the worst of the large scale compositions will tend to have one idea. Yeah. Um, it, it might be abstract, but it'll be one idea. Yeah. Instead it'll, of by track, we'd probably be going by minute markers. This is where they brought in the violin. Well, no, you started... you'd have to do sections. Yeah. For instance, yeah. Uh, there's these things. If you ever look at a score, they always have uh, rehearsal marks, um, like B, C, D, and these tend to be the way in which uh, the parts go. So you describe it in that manner. Um, movements, of course, also. The, every symphony is, has four movements to it, so, you know, pretty easy to describe. Well, uh, you know, the second movement, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think, I think what we're getting at mostly is that, and what I was kind of trying to bring up with this conversation in the first place. You go back though, to that. You go yeah. back to that. Because we, 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 we kind of went off, off the rails. He got me in classical, and when no, he gets but, me in classical, but it was, tangentially, it was still related. But I think the point we're trying to make is there's obviously no good or bad. It's only one. Obviously, there's no such thing in music. It's, you know, a, a lot of opinion-based. Crass chord says it is so. But with this, I think it, it the new record by Nails at least proves that Maybe in this case, some checks and balances would have been a good thing. But it's hard to say, because, again... They tend to be good for governments, in my experience. That's why, yeah. Yes. Most experience. Really? What's that like? Because I don't even know. Uh, I don't know. We have three parts. What, what, what do we live in, America or something? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but no, that's why it was refreshing to see Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Yeah, and that the composer who was helping him produce that record was also so, played instruments and was involved in the record. That's why you oh, yeah, see on Eminem featuring Dr. Dre. Yeah. Yeah, let's break it down on that side of the equation. Let's look at the benefits of a band. Of course, when you have people cross, cross-checking you, first of all, there is an acknowledgement of the individual skill. You acknowledge that the drummer in your band has got to know his stuff. Once you acknowledge that and you just forget about it and you stay out of his field, then you might walk into a situation like with Godsticks. When I performed that uh, that interview with Godsticks and and Darren described uh, Steve's stuff, Steve the drummer is a- as being incredibly influential to every single thing that he writes. You know, Steve Robinson, he'd come up with a with a drum riff and then all of a sudden that will spark the idea in, in Darren's head and he will come up with some sort of guitar riff to go along to it that he may never have come up with otherwise. Right. That's something that can only come from interaction in rehearsals. And that, let's face it, that is kind of what the band is built on. Because the band is born out of jazz. That's just another genre throw in here. The genre, Jazz as a genre is responsible for starting that, that interaction work. Because before that, yes, the only thing you'd have to abandon is is a chamber ensemble, but there wasn't that much interaction, improvisationally speaking. It would normally be just uh, a lot of cues to reflect what is going on on the page. Yeah. But jazz is all about making it up as you go along and trying to perfect that art. And that's what rock music became as well. So that's kind of what you're looking at when you look at most bands, are, are cases of, of um, interaction and evolution. Yeah, I I think that, you know, for me personally, we've seen it work and we've seen it not work. So, I mean, there's no right or wrong, obviously, but there's just... I I really uh, mark it up to, or chalk it up to uh, personality types. It's as I said before, the perfectionist probably will never work in that setting I just described. A perfectionist is always going to want... You, you could be a guitarist. You're gonna want that drummer to do one thing, and from, that's 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 gonna be it for you. You're not gonna be able to accept something that he comes up with, uh, individually speaking. Right. And from what I've heard about Trent Reznor, he's a bit of a perfectionist, which is why I think 
no matter how bad we reviewed this record, he's not going to give a damn about how bad perfection, anyone. Yeah. Perfectionism does not mean that your product will be perfect. Yeah, just that just means, means that you seek your own idea of perfection, exactly. and that's very varying from person to person. Yeah, I think that um, this is a good place to wrap up. Steve, do you have a wonderful, beautiful spam for us this week? I do have a wonderful and beautiful spam for you today, and it goes <clears throat> question mark. Board equals asterisk by Meloa de Foot. I like it. It's short, it's simple, it's to the point. I don't know what he was using the asterisk for, but it, it worked. Yeah, it wasn't that outro, was it? No. Yeah, it was a bit Great of a... Great intro. I was, I was really apprehension. Really? Wait, Every wait, week now we're going to break down... No, the question the mark, the the question question mark, mark had it, me... I was very curious. I felt. I, I love exploring the whys, and the and warehouse. It's settled and bored, but it the, really. The did worst a good job. part is this yeah. is my fault because I pointed it out. Forget you. I listened to last week. That was hysterical. Okay. Um, <laughs> so John, what's our album <laughs> for next fun. week? Okay, next week because Steve keeps doing it, I had to do it. I'm bringing us math rock, new genres. Math rock. Math rock has atypical rhythms. It has off-time signatures. It has heavy drums. It has a tapping guitar. There's a lot of unusual things involved in math rock. Seven nine timestamps, like weird stuff that you don't normally see. Yeah, that changing that, that, that doesn't exist. I'll just tell you straight. <laughs> seven nine. Seven. No, not seven nine. Eleven nine. No nines. No nines in the lower. <laughs> there was a nine mentioned. At the top, not the bottom. Uh, anyway, um, it's weird music, and because of it, the way it plays around with tempo, it plays around with math, and that's why it got the name Math Rock. It's one of the offshoots of uh, psychedelic experimental style math, uh, rock and roll. The band is uh, Marnie Stern. She. She. Well, because you said the band, it's one person, no? Yes, I believe it's one person. So this is another one-person one band. And it is The Chronicles of Marnia. Clever. I Ooh. like it. And this is... its There's so little math rock out there this year, I had to pick something. This was back in March. Okay. I, I have, I've year. only heard one or two songs, so I'm very curious as what she does. Well, so... I've heard a lot of good things. You guys are really stepping it up. I guess I'm going to have to bring something big. Yeah, else. yeah. Please, please don't. No, no, just stay in your 90s. Just, 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 I'm broken out of the 90s, and you know what? I am going to break out. We've been wanting to do comedy for a while. He's going to so break might... out. Dun, 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 dun. Gonna I, be so I think I might be, pick our first comedy album in a couple weeks. But anyway, um, John's pick is next week. He's just told us what that is. And then the week after, we're going to have Noam Berg, a.k.a. the Painless Parker, on to play songs for us. And he's bringing us an album as well, so that should be a lot of fun. And then um, we're going to talk about the mandolin. Oh, yes. And the guitar, he, he and will... he liked punk. Remember that. Yes, I know. He's a punker like me. So this is going to be a big one. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. we got mandolin, punk. And we, there might be fonts. Maybe fonts. Oh, that's right. This guy and loves fonts. Watch out, because this guy is such a, a font. Aholic. Aho there you go. Fontaholic. Fontaholic? Anyway, on that yeah. note, and as always, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good.